0: Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha.
1: I'm Josh Kalecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And
0: today we're talking about Halo. Yes, Halo. All of it. Uh, Developed in various instances by Bungie and 343 Studios over the years and currently published by Xbox Game Studios. We're going to touch on Everything from Halo Combat Evolved released in 2001 right up to Halo Infinite here in 2021 and everything in between. There'll probably be story spoilers for some 20-plus-year-old games, so buckle up. Um, We're going to call this one Halo 1 to Infinity. (laughs) (laughs) Like
1: Brian said, Halo Combat Evolved was released in 2001. And last year, being the 20th anniversary of that game's release, I got a jonesing to revisit the game and see if it stood up to my, you know, adolescent memories of playing it. So I got the guys along, and we couldn't just play the original Halo. We played lots of different Halos for this one.
2: Yeah, in classic (laughs) Clint Jones style, it took things too far, and I ended (laughs) up playing every mainline entry in the series and then a couple books on top of that, so...
1: Yeah, Damn. Clint even wrote a couple of books for I this. didn't write the books. I read some books. But I could probably write
2: a book at this point.
0: All right. You heard it here first, folks. Clint Jones, uh, Halo fanfic, will be up on pixelatedplaygrounds.com. Check it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. But seriously now, the uh, I mean, obviously, this is a, a huge storied franchise um, uh, from way back in its first iterations. I remember in uh, vaguely seeing Steve Jobs showing this off at Macworld and yet somehow it became a Microsoft inclu- exclusive <laughs> months hell later. Oh hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they and let it, that
2: one go, right? Didn't it, uh that's where Bungie was originally going to put this.
0: That's right. And uh basically as I understand it Microsoft sort of swooped in and um, as they were beginning to line up the launch entries for the Xbox their initial foray into gaming, um it was uh it was Microsoft that ended up publishing Halo and it it basically made the Xbox. You know, I don't think there would be an Xbox today without Halo.
2: God, can you imagine if that worked out and it was the Apple i game we were all playing today? (laughs) Like people be bitching about two hundred dollar video games and nine hundred dollar controllers. Jesus Christ.
0: I I would guess there'd be better controller support on the iPhone by this point.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, but that is interesting to think about back then. Um Microsoft was not a player in the console world whatsoever. It was Nintendo and Sony and like Sega D- Dreamcast was kind of around and the hipsters liked it, but never had any commercial success.
2: Yeah, um not a part of the Halo series, but during all this I actually watched that six-part uh mini series about uh, the inception of Xbox and how this all happened and they very begrudgingly Became part of all this. Like the only reason they did was because they thought Sony was competing with them in the uh, in the living room, and they didn't want them to take over computers anywhere.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess it you know it makes sense, especially today. As you know, recently we've seen Microsoft continue to bet bigger and bigger on games, especially to the tune of the latest acquisition by microsoft in the gaming industry the biggest ever of its kind of uh, activision blizzard so you know what starts with a humble halo ends with a merger of (laughs) fortune 500 companies i guess (laughs) massive
2: proportions (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: but yeah i mean let's get back to halo maybe i'm sure we'll talk more about the xbox since that's where this uh series primarily lives but um game was created by by bungie initially alex seropian one of the original founders who worked on things like marathon and myth Um, And uh, a few other, like, you know, pivotal characters in this are Jamie Gressimer, who designed the now-famous FPS controls, and and Marty O'Donnell, who did the sound design and such. So a a story cast and crew of the Bungie group that uh, brought this thing to be.
1: You know what I was kind of surprised about with the um, music was that original Macworld reveal of Halo had a very recognizable theme going through it. Like, that theme goes back.
0: Yeah, one of the first things, sort of identifiable with the game, Uh, Clint. You were saying about the controls. We took it for
2: granted now, but when they made this game, they were like not sure that you could even do a first-person shooter on a controller. Like it was not done. If it had been done, it hadn't really been done well.
1: Absolutely. They had the things like GoldenEye and um, Perfect Dark out for the Nintendo sixty-four before that, and you know different um, different control styles. But games back then, your joystick which you are usually only using one, it was um, going forward and backwards and turning left and right. And those were your options. You'd have to, you know, do some button gymnastics and uh, play controller twister in order to strafe or look up and down or things you take for such granted. And that's why PC shooters were like very snobbish about their games back then because they had a much more natural control scheme.
0: It's definitely worth recognizing just how well this controller... Um, shooter scheme nailed it in that it, most of it is still in use today and even today, you know, playing Infinite I prefer to use a controller despite playing Infinite on a PC <laughs>
2: Same,
1: No, <laughs> I feel so like crazy It's a Halo, it has to be you have to use a controller, it's sacrilege otherwise.
0: Absolutely but going into, like we talked about the initial control scheme, so maybe it's worth starting at the start and, and talking a little bit about Halo Combat Evolved you know, where, where this thing got its whole beginning So Halo Combat Evolved sets up uh, very, very simply uh, humanity at war with aliens. Uh, You know, we've got we've got a pretty classic sci fi story here, um, you know, very classic military sci fi. Uh, You are Master Chief, which uh, is uh, an interesting name for a character, pretty generic. It's basically a military rank as a name. But you later find out his name's John 117 or something like that. But, uh, you know, I'm sure Clint can tell you more about that than I can.
2: The only thing more generic (laughs) than Master Chief, he's John
1: yeah cool john smith master chief yeah
0: yes indeed i i read a funny anecdote about why he was named master chief and they looked up ranks in the navy and master chief was the highest non-commissioned officer rank so basically he was the highest rank of expendable soldier that there was (laughs) and that's why
2: they've never had to change it because they named him after the rank they've had to leave him there so they picked the highest one so (laughs) just never went to an officer that's him now
0: yeah they, they openly admitted they thought the name sounded stupid but it just kind of stuck which goes to show if you're working on a project never use a project name as a you know announcement or commercial viable product because it will inevitably it will inevitably stick
2: yep and when you're and when you're stuck and this is a hit and you're doing this 20 years later you're still stuck with it so make sure it's good
0: yeah it's amazing that the gamecube is not called the dolphin commercially <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a better name <laughs> that's a good point um but but yeah you know i know at least josh you and i played combat evolved uh, some of it together clint you said you played it too i
2: did i played it on the master chief collection which was super cool for anybody that hasn't experienced that you can go back and play and with the push of a button it goes from like the old like original to the to the new and updated within like a fraction of a second it's pretty cool
0: I really liked that, and I also thought it really highlighted how poorly they redid the graphics for, for <laughs> Halo 1. Um, like, I think some things were helped, but in general terms, like, they just brightened everything up a lot in the, the enhanced visuals, and it kind of, like, took away a lot of the, the mystery, you know? Like, endless, <laughs> the, endless expanses of the Halo seem a lot less foreboding.
2: Well, that wasn't, you know, on purpose. That was limitations of the hardware. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think they
0: used them well in Halo Combat Evolved, right? <laughs> you almost got that fog of war going on kinda. Yeah, for sure.
1: Well, one of the things with the Fog of War is that it can make it a little more difficult to tell where to go. And I thought one of the most hilarious things about the graphical switcheroo button, which I loved, uh, but the new graphics would often have more directional markers for you, arrows on the ground to follow, or a little bit of um, color over here to direct your attention, whereas in the original, um, it was much more easy to get lost.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh it, it definitely easier to navigate for the most part. Although to me it just it it also tended to highlight how samey all of the corridors were. Um it you know, there's a difference to me between a labyrinth and just endlessly repeating corridors. And the former is a little more inspiring. But you know, that's neither here nor there. There's a lot of also open world things that I think the old visuals actually worked really really well for, like the uh, silent cartographer level. You know, this is the first real, like, iconic Halo level, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: And I feel like it works just as well in that old style as it does in the new.
1: Part of the reason that level is so iconic is that back in 2001, um, first-person shooters were much more indoor interior affairs, you'd be going through tunnels of rooms and hallways, almost more like a dungeon crawler sort of thing. Um, Halo was, I think, one of the first first person shooters where you go out into a vast outdoor level and you really feel like you have some freedom to move around.
0: Yeah, it's true. And, and they um, they supplemented this by adding in a really good and interesting vehicle system um to to Halo Combat Evolved and that's sort of a thing that is run throughout the entire series like I think uh if there's you know there's a few sort of general mechanical things that highlight you know Halo games over the course of its entire history and that is you know one is vehicles one is sort of the shield regeneration and one is sort of the the two-weapon loadout system
1: and we and the uh the sticky grenade (laughs) <laughs>
0: and we can we can go into each of those things but let's talk about those vehicles first because like i think the first time you jump in a warthog and you're rolling over the hills with either your co-op buddy or a group of marines you're like okay this is the this is the the halo experience right here
2: this is the worst driving jeep i've ever been in in my life <laughs> hey and it was yet.
1: 2001 you know <laughs> jeeps weren't made like they are these days
0: <laughs> yeah i mean absolutely the controls you know Maybe they're not typical. Maybe they're not the best. Maybe they're a little clunky. But I don't know. It's just still so fun. You know, I I don't care if like this thing's fishtailing all over the fucking place. I'm still having a great time fishtailing <laughs> my gigantic Jeep into <laughs> enemy bugs.
1: Now I was reading the oral history interview that Vice did with the um, original Halo team. And they were talking about how this game was originally planned to be a real-time strategy game because 2001 was a... Uh, time that you could still get funding for a real-time strategy game, uh, but they started like adding things. Like they had these vehicle controls that were um, instead of just doing pathfinding through nodes, like it was more physics based, and you'd be on the ground instead of having tile-based uh, terrain. Um, but then they started like attaching the camera to the. Uh, Warthog to the Jeep, and it was fun to watch that drive around. So they're like, oh, well, we've got to put driver controls in that so we can have fun driving the Jeep around. And it's like that kind of changed the whole thing. They started focusing more on the controlling a single person instead of controlling an army of people
0: I, I think this is similar to the way that like diablo evolved from a turn-based roguelike right like basically just changing the time scale of how things act And this in this case it was changing the scale on which you are interacting with the, the people on the board so to speak and you know sometimes like a, a game totally changing shape like this really like brings into being something inspired and different and in, in this case i think it absolutely did because having the scale of these gigantic battles still taking place while you are just a piece in them you know it wasn't the first game to do this but i think it was the best one to do it to date um you know you had your SOCOMs you had things like that in the past um that tried to do like at scale warfare but this was different
2: and i think that really lends it to what made this game special in the long run too like yeah the campaigns are cool but that's not why uh this this stuck this stuck because of the multiplayer and i think it was because again you're talking earlier how everything was a corridor shooter by design before this like that has its time and its place but this was like giant open arenas where you could duke it out with your friends and i think that's what made it special
0: The gigantic um, areas the, and the, the sprawling landscapes definitely lend themselves much better to multiplayer than like oh, we're repurposing facility in Halo <laughs> 007 to make it into a multiplayer map and you can clearly see like where they just like closed a door in vestigial hallways that make no fucking sense in a multiplayer level and <laughs> it's just it, it's clear that you know there were there were synergies at work here that made the multiplayer just that much stronger.
1: They really did have a strong multiplayer in this game. Um, I think a part of that was with the original. They had such a strong, like, a uh, LAN party kind of component. Because um, I think you could have up to 16 people if you had, like, four Xboxes all linked up with each other. But even just having four people fighting each other, uh, that was an easy thing to set up and have on your TV. And a great way to experience that. Like, um, 2001, I think... Something like six percent of Americans had enough had broadband internet speeds uh, that could actually support doing a uh, first-person shooter remotely. So this was kind of like a big local multiplayer thing. Yeah, they
2: said that they were crazy. So Microsoft put they insisted that when they built that Xbox that they put a broadband connection directly onto it, and they were like, "What the fuck are you doing? Nobody <laughs> has this," and they were like, "Trust me." You have to put this on here. It's going to make all the difference in the world. And it didn't in Halo 1, but it for sure did with, with Halo 2.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. As Xbox Live started to get spun up and we saw, you know, online multiplayer start to take over and the days of LAN parties come to an end, um, that absolutely proved to be an insightful move. Um, I do want to mention the, the largest Halo LAN party for Halo 1 that I was ever part of was a 12-man uh, only three systems. You can only muster three <laughs> systems back in high school. But uh, it was pretty fucking fun. That's
2: cool. <laughs> I never did a, a Halo LAN party. Ours were always uh, Battlefield 1942. Oh, yeah. A classic. Oh. <laughs>
0: uh, I was always more of a Smash guy myself. But, hey, I know that's sacrilege on a Halo cast. But um, I, uh, I did have a lot of fun playing Halo back in, you know, the various iterations back in high school and, uh, college and now infinite, but we'll get to that later.
1: Um, Uh, one of the things Brian mentioned earlier was that the levels have a lot of repeated design. And, um, I found out that actually they reuse every single level in Halo twice. And part of that was like the time crunch they were operating under but it's like you go through a level forwards and hey we'll throw in some explosions and go through it backwards so that did kind of like dull some of the oh this this level was epic and awesome the first time you got to it and now it's oh i this looks familiar here
0: yeah, and I think one of one of the ways they made this work is that you weren't hoovering up the health packs, uh, you know, the first time through, like you would be in, like, say, a Doom or a Wolfenstein or something. And that's because you had a continuously regenerating shield. Um, we need to talk about this because it's such a pivotal change to to how things work. Um, the, your health is not just your health bar, and you don't refill it with an item you pick up on the map. Um, you basically have an overshield, and uh, that will, if you're not taking fire, regenerate after a few seconds back to its full strength. So as long as you're not under consistent fire, you can absorb a lot of hits over time.
2: Yeah, this was crucial. As somebody that plays a lot of first-person shooters, like there's nothing exciting about playing a Call of Duty game where something epic is happening and then, oops, I have to go pick. I have to go like stop what I'm doing and go find five health packs to get back into the action. Like that's <laughs> that sucks. It's boring. Like Halo was, I think, the first one to to do that auto regen and it keeps you in the action and you're constantly able to just keep momentum going.
1: I think that shield regen was part of their, um, converting an FPS to be a good first person shooter on a council sort of thing. Like, um, it allowed a certain amount of inaccuracy, uh, you didn't have to have like, uh, laser-tight movements and strafing. Um, the slow movement and kind of floatier jumps and movement that Halo has too also slows down the action a little bit in terms of like, I can do this on a controller versus I need to be able to 180 in a quarter second in order to be competitive here.
0: Yeah, Master Chief is like a Humvee where, like, your Quake protagonist in a multiplayer match is like a Corvette. Um, He's definitely big and floaty and beefy, but he can take a lot more hits, and to that effect, it's a longer time to kill in multiplayer matches, too, especially given that shield regeneration, if you you can get away from direct fire in time. So there's a lot of sort of changes to, you know, the more twitchy shooters that we might be talking about at a similar time. Um, and those even got more heightened as we went into the later entries in the series, uh, such as Halo 2.
2: Yeah, like we were talking about earlier, Halo 2 was that first, that's where Xbox Live had its start, basically. I think Halo 2 was the first game to to allow for online
0: multiplayer, wasn't it?
1: Bungie described it as a launch title, not for, you know, Xbox 360, but for Xbox Live.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it certainly wasn't the first, like, online multiplayer game uh i do remember like socom came out way earlier and was doing stuff like that too but you know I'm, I'm leery about saying anything was a first but in terms of prominence and amount of people in an online service and capturing a zeitgeist towards online multiplayer this is absolutely and brilliant. things that yeah.
1: i personally remember
0: yeah, yeah <laughs>
2: this was the big one this was the one that, that made it a, a real thing
0: it was the one that drove that drove the trend, right? It wasn't the tip of the spear, but it was certainly uh, the killer app for online shooter gaming.
2: Now, did you guys play much Halo 2? Because I didn't have an original Xbox, so I didn't get to play that too much.
0: I played a shit ton of it's multiplayer in high school, because that's when it came out <laughs> for us. <laughs> nice. That's
1: about the last time I played Halo 2 as well, but oh my, how much I played back then.
0: Yeah, that's- yeah I still remember playing it in our our friend Maddie's basement um <laughs> like that was the the halo spot um it was a lot of fun, and you know I still have good memories of that by the time Halo three came out, we were already in college yep yeah
2: that's where my i guess my biggest foray in, into Halo really started. I got an xbox three sixty on launch day, so i I didn't have the original xbox but I got the three sixty and uh I actually worked at GameStop at the time. <laughs> so I got I got some really cool memories with Halo 3. I played a lot, and I, I worked the Halo 3 midnight launch party, which was a huge thing.
0: Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Did you see some folks in, like, Master Chief Regalia and stuff like that? or?
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. The nerds were out, and it was a good time.
0: <laughs> I could see, like, making a... Master Chief costume out of like empty natty boxes and rolling up to a GameStop to get my pre-ordered copy or something. Honestly, Um. it was cool, man. Like this
2: was one of the first times where I've seen like an event where you get a bunch of like, there was a bunch of like super nerds there, but there was a bunch of like frat guys too. Like everybody was together. They were, everybody was excited together. People that normally wouldn't hang out, everybody was together and excited for Halo 3 and that was pretty cool.
1: I mean, Halo really was kind of a cultural phenomenon back in the 2000s. Like, it was people lined up to get this game on release night.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If if Call of Duty was the you know mainstream game that cut across all the sort of cultural lines in the tens, it was Halo in the the late aughts for sure. Yeah. Um, and you know, Halo Three was was int- I think I think it was the height of of that for a while. Uh, you know, maybe we're entering a new realm for that. But Halo 3, I think, is the one that, that achieved the the greatest heights. It's the end of the initial trilogy. Um, it introduced power-ups, which eh, I, I think was sort of a nominal increase in terms of mechanics to the game. But it did everything really well, you know? It did it did everything that Halo 2 did and more, in, in my opinion, I think.
1: Really definitely polished on the formula. Yeah, like, I agree that power-ups were a nice thing to have when you already had like a couple of halos under your belt already um but yeah it just was a very smooth experience Mm -hmm.
0: and uh yeah it's a lot of good memory and maybe you know this is maybe my uh my take on it is colored by the fact of how much i've played of it in, in college and stuff like that but it uh yeah, holds just a lot of good memories playing Halo multiplayer there. And, and this is where I kind of like lose the series for a bit. I know there's a lot of interesting, you know, entries after this, but but I kind of I took they took a back seat for me.
1: You know, Brian, I'm the same way. Um, I've kind of bowed out of the series after three for a while, but then picked up some more for this podcast. and replayed Reach and ODST. Oh, yeah. So Reach, I thought, did the Halo formula very well. Reach was the last Bungie game um, to do this. And I, I liked playing through it. It kind of like brought back some good memories and everything. But I actually, I think I preferred ODST in retrospective. Um, it was a different kind of experience, but it felt more pure Halo in some ways.
2: Yeah, I gotta be honest. Uh... You were talking about losing it after Halo 3. Both ODST and Reach were kind of built in that Halo 3 engine. So that was, you're right. That's the last thing Bungie did. Reach was one of my favorites. Not because of necessarily any of the gameplay, but I really liked the, the story that they hammered home. Like, Halo 3 started doing this too. They really started ramping up the story. Like, they wanted to tug at your heartstrings, make you feel like this was a fight that you were personally involved in, something that, like, really mattered. And Reach kind of... Reach is all about a... A, a squad that you know is gonna die. Like you know they fail, everyone dies, and you know it going in. So it's kind of like one of those. I don't know. It was a really cool story. I liked it.
0: Yeah. What were we saying? This is like the Star Wars. Um, Rogue One. Yeah. Yeah. Like the mm-hmm. uh, the Rogue One of the Halo franchise, which I you know I liked Rogue One quite a bit. It's you know it's a it's a war story. You kind of know how it's gonna end, but it's about how you get there, um, and. You know, I, I've always heard that about that game, and I, I wish I had some time to check it out. And I've heard really interesting things about ODST. Josh, you played it, as I understand that one has like sort of more of an open format, right? Like you can you can choose your your own sort of path. It was sort of proto open worldish. Is that right?
1: Oh yeah, a, a little bit. Um, they had kind of missions, and the I call it the interstitial sections where you're in this open city. Uh, they got a nice like low-key piano, sometimes saxophone jazz soundtrack going on, and you're, you know, you're just this human dude trying to get from point A to point B, and it doesn't tell you how to get there. You can kind of sneak around through buildings or twist through some alleyways. Um, You come up against patrols of enemies, and, you know, you're not supposed to, like, overpower them like you have been doing as Master Chief everywhere. Um, So It it seems like smaller scale, and I kind of liked that. I also think the missions themselves were almost kind of like purified Halo fun. Like, here's the Warthog level, and it's the Warthoggiest level I played during this whole <laughs> uh, retrospective playthrough.
0: <laughs> nice. So th- it was sort of a yeah. I guess part of that leads me to think that it's they took some of what the DNA there when they considered Infinite, and other parts of it just seemed like really focused like proofs of concept on how good these halo mechanics have gotten over the years.
2: Yeah, ODST was the only entry too where you weren't playing as either Master Chief or a Spartan of some kind. You were just an ODST, which is basically like a supermarine basically.
0: Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with a supermarine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no it it was uh I think part of it too was um after going through the whole original campaign and the reach campaign, I appreciated it for its difference too, and I understand that it had a little bit of um like critically it did not do as well or maybe commercially at the time it came out um maybe because it was a little bit different than what people were wanting.
2: I think they wanted more master chief, honestly, they wanted to see what happened next and instead they got like. DLC. If people were upset that it felt like DLC.
1: Yeah, I think they mentioned that in the uh, oral history as well. Like, they originally planned for it to be a $30 game, but then it got released as a $60 game. You know, when <clears throat> I got it for free, as part of the Master Chiefs collection, it was great, but... <laughs> Not bad, yeah.
2: Yeah I, yeah, I mean, people were just coming off the high of Halo 3. I was still working at GameStop when ODST came out, and that was just the general feel. Like, people were just a little upset that it wasn't... They were just coming off the high. Too high yeah. of a high. Next thing was going to suck no matter what it was, probably. So
0: It's one of those games that seems like it's probably gained more of a following and more appreciation as the years went on. Like, in its context, you're right. Maybe it was a letdown based on what was expected. But it seems to me like it might be the Wind Waker of this series, you know? Like, initial Hidden disappointment. Gym. Yeah, initial disappointment based on um, surface-level qualities and where it comes in the, you know the history of the franchise, but probably better than it's, you know, punching above its weight class in terms of its overall game.
2: Yeah. So it sounds like none of you guys played any of the Forerunner trilogies,
0: <laughs> correct? Four and five are a mystery to me. <laughs>
2: all right. Did, did you guys read about the story before you went into Infinite at all? I did. Yeah, I okay, did. I thank, did some
0: background research. <laughs> thank God. That would have
2: been like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah. So I'll, I guess I'll jump in here since I I actually played both of them at the time and then i replayed them recently but basically 4 and 5 you're delving into like basically who built those halo rings in the first place mm-hmm. yeah what your place is in, in in that universe and then the most important thing is uh cortana goes bad
0: yeah like that's, cortana goes rogue
2: yeah rampant sorry we'll use the correct terminology since since we got all these
0: yeah that's right we have to use the canonical
2: terms yeah <laughs> rampant yeah so so basically uh her AI gets corrupted and basically she becomes the big bad, which was crazy. Um, But yeah, that that all leads up into Halo Infinite, which has a totally different type of story playing or storytelling than any of the other entries in the series.
0: Yeah, Cortana going rampant, not at all disconcerting when literally every PC that we're talking on, working on, and using every day has an app called Cortana on it.
2: Not anymore. (laughs) I thought that was super funny. So Windows 11 gets rid of Cortana.
0: (laughs) Thank God.
1: Is uh, Windows 11 the Master Chief version?
0: (laughs) Yes, it must be. The John 117 of operating (laughs) systems. so with that you mentioned infinite which is where i rejoined the the series and boy that that having just come out at the end of last year 2021 i really enjoyed my my time with infinite um i think it it launched first it's worth mentioning in november as a multiplayer only for free for everyone with an xbox or a pc and i think this was brilliant like such nice marketing for the game
2: i agree and we'll just get this out of the way right now Online hater's gonna hate, but I have never seen a uh, a developer move so quickly to try to work through uh, complaint. So some of them legitimate, some of them just plain stupid.
0: But we'll call it feedback.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, people were being like brutally dickish about this. Like, we gotta, we gotta game a whole month early it was absolutely free and people were mad that they had to buy skins in a store I'm like guys they gotta pay for this somehow like what what are your expectations here relax
0: (laughs) yeah and and by all accounts like they've ironed out a lot of things about this they've you know improved a lot of what made the uh the multiplayer purchasing system seem a little more uh seedy up front I I, I personally I'm not really like big into like buying battle passes or or any of that stuff and i have not felt really shortchanged by this game but i'm i think i'm an edge case in this like i'm not really that all that interested in it regardless i've had a i had a great time initially with that multiplayer quote-unquote beta as they're putting it and enjoyed feeling of playing halo through that so much that i felt compelled to play the campaign of infinite when it came out and continue to play infinite multiplayer with you know clint yourself and, and joe on on the occasion as well
2: yeah, it's gotten consistently better. I will say I was very impressed with how quickly they've, they've gone to correct things and how, like, communicative they've been the whole time. This is not like a black box. Like, for, for example, like, recently, um, before, like, like, mid-December, something happened with Warzone that broke every Call of Duty game that's come out in the last three years. And Activision did not address it at all. They didn't even mention anything um, until mid-January. So for a full month, as big as Call of Duty was, nobody mentioned one thing. These guys uh, with Halo Infinite, they're on their daily, like telling you, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing to fix things. We hear you here. We're going to work on this. Like, this is amazing.
0: Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, you know, the way a company is run and the way its people are feeling supported and stuff, like, s- starts to shine through in a game. Things like this is how that manifests, right? Like, when workers don't feel supported, they don't do as well. Um And it's it's clear to me that the folks um, working on Halo feel a lot more supported than the people working on Call of Duty do right now.
2: Yeah, and let's all be realists too. Like we all work in the industry. Software gets broke, hardware gets broke. It happens. It's okay. Yeah, as long as somebody's being communicative and explaining, you know, here's the roadmap, here's what we're doing to fix things, I'm fine. Like, yeah,
0: exactly. It's understandable. And, you know, if you're not going to have the hammer brought on down on you for every little mistake by your boss or something, like you're more likely to, you know, try your best to make sure things get fixed rather than trying to, say, cover them up or not talk about them or sweep them under the rug.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I will say, too, that putting uh, the multiplayer out early in beta is a great move, uh, both in terms of, like, fine-tuning and balancing and finding bugs and whatever. But, I mean, it's a beta, a beta that you paid zero money for. So here's your refund if you're upset with this.
2: Yeah, and I will say, I think they did it for a reason, not just to be... Good guys, but basically, they were going to be the last ones to the party this year. So, Call of Duty came out with Vanguard, then Battlefield 2042 was coming out, and then they were coming out on December 8th. So, they were the last ones to the party. And I'm sorry, they all know that you're only going to buy so many battle passes, you're only going to play so many multiplayer games, they didn't want to be last. Turns out they could have just fucking waited till now because 2042 is a dumpster fire that everybody wants to forget about, and Vanguard was kind of shit anyway. So like,
0: yeah, they it, 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 they they did also hit a really nice year in terms of like the games they were going up against. Um, Halo Infinite, that is, and <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, if they would have come out this like concurrent with um, Warzone when they had maybe originally planned to launch this game uh, before they delayed it the first time. That would have been a whole different ballgame, I think. I
2: will say there's something very similar about both of these. So Warzone is built off of Modern Warfare 2019. And uh, this game reminds me a lot of that one. This, both of those entries took a series that was getting kind of tired. It had been around for a long time. And like the, it's like a soft reboot and almost like the coming, to, the coming back to the basics. And like this is what makes this game great. We're going to focus just on that and do it really well
0: yeah and i want to maybe i know we need to talk about what halo infinites you know what changes they did make especially in terms of the single player but before we do that i want to we should close up our our talk of their multiplayer and i think one brilliant thing they did as you said Clint, aside from polishing everything about the online multiplayer experience to a, a pretty high sheen was they launched with a mode called fiesta <laughs> <Yeah>. which I love the Yeah, which basically boots you into the map after every death with a new weapon, automatically familiarizing you with every weapon in the arsenal and being a shit ton of fun.
2: Yeah, it kind of negates that whole thing that the, the one complaint I used to have with Halo is like the guy who knew where the rocket launcher was, that that guy mm-hmm. won. Well, fuck it. That guy a- anybody can have a rocket launcher now. You you can spawn with the Needler, for God's sake! You get blown up. Doesn't matter. You get the rocket launcher next time. Like it just like it keeps the fun going. It's always fresh. And then that one guy that's like super sweaty that like practices way too much. Well, he's gonna get some stupid gun. He doesn't know how to use either. So, <laughs> it all it all comes
1: around. You know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Super Smash Bros. in a way. Like the Fiesta mode isn't about map control. Um, it's not about like restricting access to the shotgun or the sniper rifle. Because anybody can spawn with those things. Just like Smash Bros, anybody can grab a hammer or something like that. It's a more frenetic kind of energy.
2: Yeah, and I will say they've changed that too. Like, there is no more, like, secret, like, this is where the secret weapon is. Like, the power ups that show up, it gets announced 30 seconds before it pops up on the map. It's like, hey, everybody, the good shit's about to show up. Here's exactly where it shows up. (laughs) And then it turns into, like, a mini King of the Hill thing for a minute, and then you go about your business.
0: And, and I think they're taking that from um, games like uh, PUBG and Fortnite where supply drops will happen throughout the course of long battle royale matches and everybody will rush for it. It does a great job of not only forcing everyone into the same place to have some epic dugouts, but it also like will give you that good loot, which everyone loves playing with the good loot. Come on, who doesn't love playing with the good loot? <laughs> yeah, it's
2: a good risk versus reward for sure. And they also don't throw so much ammo in those things that it really is going to like that person will get a couple of cool things out of it. Yeah, a couple of But kills. It's, it's not going to turn the whole thing around.
1: I feel like that way of doing things, the PUBG or the Fortnite supply drop. Uh, you got the, you got to be at this place, do a little King of the Hill thing that kind of helps with some of the kind of camping of multiplayer or call it the door problem where you want to be safe and just pick off people from a distance. Um, this in this way, solving it by saying, Hey, this cool shit happening over here. You should be here instead of hiding behind the door like you are.
2: Yeah, I got to be honest. I played so much of this Halo game, and today was the first day I've ever seen anyone camping in Halo Infinite. I was playing a, fr- a free-for-all <laughs> match, and some guy was hiding, b- crouching behind a box and got me as I came around, and it was so strange and alien to me that I'm like, what just <laughs> happened, which is amazing. Like, It just doesn't happen in
0: this game that much, which is really cool the meta is being figured out and even Clint platinum level player is susceptible now. I guess. Oh, that's embarrassing. I don't need to talk about that. <laughs> I can edit it out if you want. No, it's okay. Just like Clint bleep level player. <laughs> too high what? for his own good. <laughs> yeah. Too high for me to play with on a regular basis. That's for sure. Um,
1: Before I was talking a little bit about the door problem of first person shooters. Like why bother putting yourself in a room and exposing yourself to fire If, you know, what does that get you when you can just hang out in a corridor or behind a doorway, behind cover, and pick off enemies as they wander into your sights? So it's like how uh, Doom solves this problem really well by... Not starting the action until you get into the room by putting power-ups out there in the middle of the room. So you have to really get up there in the action. Um, like, the enemies are your ammo crates and whatnot in that game. Um, Halo, actually, I think it does this good in the multiplayer with the shield regen mechanic. Like, um, You can take you a chance, yeah. Yeah, if you hide behind a door, you can't just nail someone with... Uh, couple of pot shots and they're dead they'll lose their shields or duck behind cover and if you stay where you are you're back at ground zero so what you got to do is get out there and pursue them it creates an incentive for the player to not just sit back and uh camp out
2: yeah the only time you ever see somebody just sitting there waiting to take pot shots is when they have the uh the sniper rifle which isn't very common because most you're right most of the time it's going to take a whole clip or close to it to take a guy out, so you're not going to get a lucky shot. They're going to turn around and bash you, basically.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like the difference between like, like you said, uh, trying to just take advantage and snipe all at once, or you know, deciding you're going to go all in and basically both of you put your whole pot into the center of the the table and say, "All right, I'm all in, you all in," and then you <laughs> yeah. see who's got the better hand.
1: <laughs> no, that's exactly what it is. You know, it's not like um, not the half measures. You know.
0: Yeah. You know, I wanted to make a point on that because we're talking about this game in the same breath as um, some of these Battle Royale games, which have admittedly much larger maps. I think I expected the multiplayer of Halo Infinite to follow the campaign of Halo Infinite in being much larger scale maps, much more open. These feel like old school Halo multiplayer maps. They're not really that big.
2: Well, they've got both, so it just that's just what me and Joe tend to play, but they have a mode called Big Team Battle, which admittedly is not as populated, but they do have really large, um, with larger player count too, and different kinds of objectives. Kind of more rem- reminiscent of like a Battlefield kind of objective. Yeah, I, I guess I game, need to go but...
0: back and play some of that, because I haven't, haven't experienced that yet. But um...
2: I, on- I honestly like the small maps better. It keeps the action constantly going. It's
0: a little, I don't know, I like to feel better, but there's both.
1: There's something to be said for a good arena multiplayer shooter.
0: And I think that's honestly like why I resonated so hard with this multiplayer is it it literally just teleported me back to high school or college. Like it immediately (laughs) felt familiar. I didn't have to learn anything. It was all like muscle memory that came back. Like I was playing smash brothers again for the first time in a few years or something. It was wonderful. Yeah. Um, but we need let's we need to hit the campaign of, of Halo Infinite because to me this is actually the more notable thing about Halo Infinite as an iteration on its series. Um, we mentioned this in passing a little bit, but it's a big open world game, um, and while that's far from novel in today's day and age, it's certainly novel to Halo. It's
2: novel to FPS games, honestly. I mean, okay. Yeah.
0: Maybe pump the brakes on that. We got our Far Cry's. I got was our- about to say, Far Cry.
2: Sorry, I was going to say that do it well. I mean, yeah. Far Cry was cool and novel, and it got really tired really fast. We're on our sixth entry of the same fucking thing. <laughs> um, and, and to be fair, Halo Infinite does do some of the same things that um, that your Far Cry's will do. Like, there's a lot of bases that you got to go to. But I feel like they did a better job of saying this is why you want to take over this base. Like, there's a story behind it. Like, you're stopping the supply line of weapons to whatever, um, and that's going to help with this. Like, I feel like in Far Cry, they're like, I don't know. Just take out these six bases, and then you can unlock this map for the region. Like, that's boring.
0: Well, and I think it it works really well with what Halo was always good at, which was sort of, like, wild. um, For one, Halo's physics has always been completely ridiculous and havoc-filled, and you know, every time you die, your guy ragdolls off in 100 <laughs> a meters. And, yeah. and, and that, combined with an open world, is obviously a naturally good fit. Um, <laughs> um, but two, Halo's always been about mobility, and this game continues to enhance Master Chief's mobility by giving him a fucking grappling hook, which is probably the most excellent addition yeah. to a Halo game of all time.
2: <laughs> that was my favorite. The second they they're like, this is kind of like Titanfall, I'm like, I can get behind that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it it worked extremely well. It enhanced the mobility of of Master Chief just enough. You know, like I said before, he's kind of a truck. Um, but once you get that that grappling hook on a basically infinite um, cooldown or extremely short cooldown that allows you to use it as much as you want, basically, you're you can really fly around. And using that to like either one grab an explosive or an enemy or a weapon is just like some of the funnest. Things you can do in a shooter, honestly.
2: <laughs> My best feeling moment with the grappling hook, other than traversal, was grabbing those uh, explosive crates. Just in yep. any engagement, and be like, "Time for an explosive crate!" Swoosh <laughs> and kaboom! Like that was that felt awesome.
0: Yeah, there's um, there's a YouTuber called Video Game Dunkey that most people have, are probably aware of if they our in-game gaming media consumers he has a great video where he just shows all these different hijinks using the grappling hook and i would highly recommend it as a watch it's pretty funny i'll check it out um but yeah so obviously there's a ton of interesting open world things the campaign does it intersperses them with some of these you know quarter sequences that are more reminiscent of the old things where you're entering you know the lower parts of the halo and going through the same blue-tinged hallways that you've always been going through, but I, I found this <laughs> a lot less engaging personally.
2: Yeah, they did a good job of mixing old with new. Here's your open world. Here's your prescriptive levels, and they did it often enough that none of it
0: started to feel boring. I'll be honest. After a while, I felt bored, <laughs> but um, I, I was just waiting for the open world to come back. After a bit, like I didn't, I didn't love those linear portions. I really wanted to be back out with the the sky above me and a banshee beneath me.
1: <laughs> well, question for you, Brian? Uh, did you feel like the indoor portions were too repetitive? Like you, like I've seen this room before?
0: Well, it's, it's difficult because you know when you're doing one of those underground portions, you're going towards a, an important story beat. And I like story beats, but I didn't like the underground portion. So it was like, take your medicine to get your reward. Uh, to your point, Josh, yes, it did feel a little repetitive to me just in terms of like the environment looked samey compared to like the interestingness of the overworld. But, you know, that's just that's a me problem, maybe. Um, yeah, this was
2: in counterpoint to what I had a problem with in Breath of the Wild. I found that game to be boring as shit because it was nothing but <laughs> nothing but overworld, and and then the quote unquote dungeons I felt were just a complete cop out. Like I feel like they did a better job in Halo of of filling in with meaningful dungeons and then giving you the overworld, and I felt like it was a good mix. But that's just for me. I guess everybody's different.
0: Yeah, this is really interesting because like I feel like this is just a different... This is a discussion we'll need to have over beers or sometime or something because I, it feels like we felt exactly opposite of each other with regards to Halo and Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Both like, clearly trying to go for the same thing, which is interesting. Um, yeah. Well, that's yeah. okay.
2: It's clearly, you like the overworld more and I like the prescriptive and I like the... We both like a mix, but yeah. we like but it's a different mix the other mix yeah (laughs) the two to one instead of the one to two but yeah whatever
0: yeah that is interesting huh okay no this is this is uh enlightening a lot of things about that that your your thoughts on that game to me as well that's that's cool um but yeah so regardless the story of of the campaign you know i don't we don't want to probably go too deep into spoilers given it's a relatively new game but um the lore continues to be the lore of Halo, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, Massive it's and confusing. a lot of proper nouns. Yeah, confusing, a lot of proper nouns. You're not really sure exactly what's happening or why or to what end, but uh, it sure is happening. Uh, s- space religions trying to end the galaxy again. That's it. <laughs> again.
1: <laughs> again. I will say that, you know, the you know, the lore and the storylines of Halo have never been the most impressive thing, but having just gone through Metroid dread,
2: (laughs) don't spoil it. Damn it. I'm about to play it. So don't spoil it.
1: I will just say that, uh, in terms of sci-fi, I'm aware of how easy it is to do something bad. (laughs) All right. Well, I
2: will say this too. Um, since I didn't get to talk about this earlier, I told you guys, I read some of the books this time. Halo has a massive and actually very interesting lore. Um, but a lot of it isn't in, in the games. Like, I think they almost like expect that you like know what's going on. Like, the other thing with this game that I didn't quite understand is... I've, I'd played all the mainline entries, but I didn't understand what was going on at the beginning of this game. Is because most of the story came from Halo Wars 2, a game that a lot of people would not have played. So didn't know existed. Right, it did, I,
0: it did not come in our discussion of Halo One to Infinity. So apparently, it's an imaginary number.
2: It's it's one of the RTS <laughs> games that they that they finally put out. But again, it was a very small subset of people that played that. Uh, but they just, I think they just have such a big story. They just expect that you know what it is. Hmm. So I think it kind of falls prey to its own success sometimes.
0: It's interesting to me about that because. Maybe it's just because it doesn't have the same cultural cachet, but I feel like Star Wars doesn't have this problem, at least for me. Like, you could drop a story almost anywhere in the Star Wars canon, and I can, generally speaking, know what's going on, but I did not feel that way about Halo, and that might just be because the Halo non-canon stuff is just that much more obscure.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you have to want to get into it, and I I will say, the books were actually surprisingly fun. I was was surprised. I thought I was going to read one just to say I did it, and then I got through two, so what the hell.
0: Mm-hmm. That's exactly twice as much as you thought you'd do. Um Yeah, and I might do more, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> I think that's been like the experience of me revisiting Halo in general, especially through Infinite, is oh I think I'll play a little bit of this and end up playing more than I thought I would. Um so I guess like a nice surprise is where like Halo is sitting for me at this point.
1: Uh even thinking about the plot, like there are really good bones there. Um I like, I don't think any of the Halo's except maybe maybe Halo 2 have like a bad plot to them and even a lot I think a lot of them like um, I think the original Halo ODST and reach all have real good stories to them. Um, it's just like the evocativeness of the ring world they're not the first person to do ring worlds but they're the you know the most prominent ring world in popular imagination like r- coming across this ancient, Artificial uh, ring that has life and continents and oceans on it is a really cool visual.
0: Yeah, it's definitely striking, you know. And, and like you said, sci-fi is always borrowing from older sci-fi. You know, Ian M. Banks is uh, well understood to be like a prominent inspir- inspirer or influence on the Halo series, uh, and Ian M. Banks is you know, golden age or silver age of sci-fi something like that. So, it's old stuff. You know, old ideas are new again um once a new generation comes to be and good ideas tend to propagate throughout history, I guess. <music> Having gone through our paces with uh Halo 1 to Infinity, let's sum up our thoughts. Uh, on these games with a three word review my three word review is war never changes and I know this is about Halo not Fallout but I think it applies here Uh, the aspects of Halo that have remained strongest throughout the series at least for me have always been the same strong multiplayer interesting choices about weapons you know only being able to bring two to the party at a time and the iconic campaign setting say what you want about Halo's writing, lore, etc., but the Master Chief suit and the visual spectacle of its Halos are iconic at this point. It was really fun for me to dip back into Halo as a series, and I'm enjoying the hell out of Infinite's multiplayer. Any game that you can pick up and instantly have you back at a certain time and place is certainly a strong one. And at least in that aspect, I hope Halo's interstellar wars remain unchanged for me.
1: All right, my three-word review for this game, or the series of games, is The Gold Standard. The original Halo was a formative shooter for me. Revolutionary in its time and epic in scope, it drew me in and never really let go. From staying up all night to get through a campaign with my brothers, to the deathmatch LAN parties, to Xbox Live parties, to college dorm parties, it offered an intense action experience and a way to share that with friends. As the years went on, I fell away from the series, but I was very happy to revisit it for this retrospective. I've realized that, even though I've played better shooters, Halo is still my gold standard. On some unconscious level, all other first-person shooters get compared to this. Hmm.
2: Nice. So, my three-word review is Halo is infinite. (laughs) So, this podcast got way out of hand for me, and what started as a (laughs) retro co-op... Uh, For Halo 1, led into a whole franchise deep dive, and I ended up playing 20 years of video games and reading a couple books. So, (laughs) Halo and subsequently Xbox Live paved the way for online multiplayer that we experience on consoles today, and its effects are far-reaching, and almost anybody that enjoys any type of game has been touched by this series in one way or another. Now, I've always enjoyed these games, and especially that online multiplayer. Like we talked about, Halo 3 still holds a very special place in my heart uh, from all the matches I got to play with friends in college, and even that uh, midnight launch I got to work at at GameStop for that, so that was a lot of fun. But playing back through the series, exploring some of the lore in its books, and then getting to enjoy this latest entry, Halo Infinite, uh, it was really eye-opening, and it's amazing to see how the industry has grown in just 20 years, and it makes me really excited to see what's in store next. More importantly, I'm happy to report that the one thing that remains the same two decades in is I'm still enjoying the hell out of playing Slayer and Capture the Flag with my friends. Uh, (laughs) Halo Infinite isn't perfect, but it's got the best multiplayer of the series in recent memory, and I really think 343 has finally done a good job of filling those giant shoes that Bungie left for them. So if you haven't gotten a chance to enjoy it yet, it's literally zero dollars. Stop listening to this podcast, go download it, and uh, go play it, man. Big thumbs up from me.
0: Yep, same here. Play Infinite. Play some of the old ones, too. Pick up that Master yeah. Chief collection. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, there's never been a lower price for entry. Oh, and if you have Game Pass, you it's can all free. Play all of them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, free, quote unquote. Um, but yeah, um, with that, we want to say thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well. And if you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at com or hit us up on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skirsha
1: I'm Josh Kalecki. And I'm
0: Clint Jones. Take care and finish the fight.
2: God, i can't believe 58 minutes and we talked about 20 years worth of video games
0: yeah that's pretty pretty good um i would say that was like almost like a halo speed run um <laughs> <laughs> which by the way there's probably some really good halo speed runs out there games done quick is just happened the other week i bet you there's a halo game in there
2: somebody beat infinite in like 15 minutes which is absurd to
0: me but it can happen evidently i bet you that's a really fun speed run i'm gonna go check that one out as soon as we uh um, hang up here. Actually,
2: well, you would think so because to do it, you skip all the dungeons,
0: you bastard. I didn't, know you didn't <laughs> like it. <any of> <laughs> Perfect. I'm gonna have to learn how to be a Halo Infinite speedrunner, It turns out.
1: <laughs> Get all the good parts of the game you like. Yeah, yeah
0: exactly. But no, I mean, I, I still think it's a fantastic game. Like, I don't think, um, I don't think the dungeons like ruin it or anything. It, they're just not as fun as the rest of it for me.
2: I will say it's very clear. We didn't even talk about this, but this game. As big as it was, it got delayed for an entire year. I've never seen a game this... integral. Yes, get pushed. This was supposed to be a launch title for Xbox, and and, and they pushed it. Um, And I'm so glad they did, because it wouldn't have been near as good. And I will say, there is some glaring obviousness in the overworld of, like, giant places where nothing is. It's just like, they clearly meant for there to be something here. They just didn't (laughs) have time. So they just let it go. I'm assuming we'll see it all in DLC... I think they they plan on this being like the long term game, so we'll see some of that come up. But uh, hmm. that's interesting. I, I'm, I'm I, glad they took the time.
0: Yeah, and you know they they were in a position to do so. You know, Xbox being a, a Microsoft product, you know they have more money than God. Pretty reliable revenue stream. They're not going anywhere. Um, and I think you know. I think who is it that said this? Was it Miyamoto that said? Here it is:
2: a delayed game is eventually good, but a rushed game is forever bad.
0: There you go. Thank <laughs> you, Clint. Ah, uh, looking
2: at you, Cyberpunk. What <laughs> the fuck?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And seriously, I think that's. I am. I'm not generally one for like massive consolidation, but if there's one thing that like having a big ass company like Microsoft behind you will do, it will let you take that extra time to make something good.
2: This turned me back into an Xbox fan. So, Brian, this wow. is your fault. I've been a, a Sony guy forever, and every time we talk about Game Pass, I'm like, I'm not doing it. And then I finally did, and now I play all my games on Xbox if they're yeah. multi-platform. i so.
0: telling you, man, that Game Pass is such a good deal. I, I, there's, it's caused me to pick up so many games that I, I would not have otherwise picked up in terms of just getting to play them, getting to get out. Um, and I really like it for that. And I've got another, like, 20 sitting here downloading and ready to go waiting
1: for me.
2: Yeah, as if our, uh, you know... The backlog wasn't bad enough already.
1: (laughs) Geez. Now your backlog is infinite.